my wife will give a testimony later in the uh, uh, this afternoon, <clears throat> and I think she'll she may mention that she it's been a very uh, very big struggle for her this last year because uh, she had to play the piano while our coworkers were on furlough because we had been singing to the violin that's uh, what our coworker plays but then when they left to go on furlough. Uh, that left us with no music, so my wife decided she better play the piano. But she had played piano, she learned to play piano when she was nine. And that's when she stopped playing piano, was when she was nine. So some of you will kind of get the idea what that was like for her to then play three songs a service, uh, every service, su- Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. So it was a bit of a challenge, but she'll, she'll probably talk more about that. But the music here has been beautiful. We thank you for... St- uh, one, standing strong. Uh, because when a missionary comes back, like it's been about five years since we've been here. And I, I realize Brother Ferguson has been here for uh, seven years now. But when a missionary comes back, you don't know what you're going to come back to. Because things have changed a lot in different places. Now, I'm thankful that most of our churches have been very good. They've stayed very strong. But this year, when we've come back for this furlough, we've had quite a number of uh, new pastors we've been meeting. But it was a real blessing to be with your pastor and his wife and family last night. We, we had a meal with them last night, and it was a real encouragement and a real blessing. So we're thankful for the meal and, and for the fellowship as well. It was really good. And it's just good to know that the church is going, staying in a good direction and staying strong for the Lord, and that you all are being faithful. Um, because some churches have lost numbers, and even some churches have closed since we've been in New Zealand. And that's really sad. But the reality is, if we keep on for the Lord, the Lord will bless. We just have to keep being faithful to Him. That's what He calls us to. He doesn't call us to success, but He calls us to faithfulness. And if we'll be faithful, God can bless. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 3. We're going to look at a passage here that's probably very familiar to most of you. But the truth of that passage, though, though familiar, has, has not lessened in its impact. And I, I think most of us would understand that we are living in a world that is getting darker and darker all around us. Um, there are those um, in New Zealand, there are those that are, um, and I know in America here as well, that in time past there were people who maybe they weren't Christians, but they were... Um, they weren't hostile toward Christianity. They were just uh, neutral toward it. Um, or they were tolerant of it. But the reality is there are more and more people today around our world that are becoming very hostile toward Christianity. Now, you can't say anything negative toward many other religions, but toward Christianity it's okay to be hostile and be uh, um, antagonistic and even attacking. And, you know... That's because the devil is trying to destroy what God has put in place. And the world is getting darker. And in New Zealand, it's happening that way as well. Uh, you saw in our presentation that we, we pass out flyers into letterboxes around the, the country and around our city. Um, we've done, it's more than 30,000, but at least 30,000 in our city that we're in right now. And it's totally legal for us to put them in letterboxes, uh, mailboxes. And we get various responses from that. And some of the responses, because my phone number's on there, so that's, I get all the messages. And um, 
some of the messages will be quite violent, you know, uh, threatening us with violence if we put one in their letterbox again. And so I ask them, I say, well, tell us your letterbox. We won't put it in your box again. They won't tell us the letterbox, but they'll say, we don't want you to put it in any letterbox. We don't want you to give this out to anyone. We don't want them to hear about your, your um, friend in the sky or whatever they call it. You know, and there's just terrible things and um, some threatening violence and different things. And, you know, it's because they don't want people to even have the option of hearing the gospel. You know, in time past, there was a tolerance of, well, you may believe that and I believe this. And, yeah, we all do our own thing. But now there are many out there that are literally God-haters. They hate God. They don't like the fact that the Bible tries to uh, narrow what they can do without feeling guilty. A lot of people today are wanting to live their life however they want to live it, and they don't want anyone to tell them they're doing something wrong. Well, God is telling us things because he, want, he loves us and he wants the best for us, but they, they don't get that. And so the world is getting much darker, and that's why this message is so so much more important even today than even when it was first written because there's so many more people in the world today than there was when God wrote this. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, what I want you to consider this morning is God does love mankind. He loves mankind so much that he gave his own self in the form of his Son. And he says he gave this because we were condemned already. And you know, a lot of people miss this point, that mankind all around us is condemned already. And we have to realize we, we don't like conflict. Most people don't like conflict. Now, there are a few people I know that seem to like conflict. Uh, they're ready to stir up an issue anytime they get a chance. But most people don't like to be in a conflict. And when someone... They go and they talk to them about the gospel and they get upset with them. That hurts. And so it kind of makes you a little bit gun shy. And so you don't really want to, you don't want to uh, talk to someone again because it hurt what this other person was negative toward you. But folks, the reality is if we don't tell them about Christ, they will never hear. Because, you know, there there is some things on the uh, TV occasionally that are, You'll, there's a little bit of good preaching there. They might see it that way. They, they might be able to find something on the internet that might be good preaching. But folks, to be honest, there is so much garbage on the internet, even when it comes to stuff that's supposed to be Christian. And we have to be so careful. Because some people do. They go to the internet, they look for stuff to try to help them in their Christian life. And, and I, I know there are some things that might be okay. But do you realize that that has opened the door to so much um, false doctrine that is being preached and so many things that are confusing people? We have a young man in New Zealand. He, he grew up on a, a farm out in the country. And they, their family comes to our church. They drive about an hour to church uh, to get their 
each service. And they're dairy farmers, so they're milking cows in the morning, milking cows in the afternoon. And this young man, had his mother had died years before, and the father tried to take care of the family, and to be honest, he struggled a lot. Well, this young man, he was, uh, well, he's now about 29 years old, and he had lived his life pretty much as a hermit, where he was basically, he would go out and he'd milk the cows, he'd come back, have have breakfast, lunch, and stuff, and then he'd go back and milk the cows again, come back to his room and stay in his room, and he didn't talk to anybody, didn't see anybody. He would play maybe a few video games. He would get on the Internet and read stuff on the Internet, and, and that's all he's been doing for years. Well, when his family started coming along to our church, he wouldn't come to church because he wouldn't, didn't want to be around any people, and he was just terrified to be around people. Well, I started befriending him and ended up, uh, breaking kind of that into that shell a little bit and spent time with him and started helping him doing a Bible study with him and anyway they got to a very busy time in their farming year again and in that busy time the calving season they really couldn't come to church on Sundays because there was no time because some of the cows they were milking other cows were having calves and they had to be on the farm pretty much full time so he got on the internet and started looking for stuff on how to hear the voice of God. And he found a website. And he started listening to this person on this website. And this person on this website started leading him astray. Though he didn't think they were leading him astray. He thought they were leading him so he could actually hear God speaking audibly to him. And this opened his mind and opened him up to, I don't, I don't believe it was demonic, possession but i do believe it was demonic oppression and this young man started hearing voices directing him to do things and he started hearing things and and it became very extreme and so for like a month he hadn't come to church because he and i'd go out to see him and uh, we'd talk about some things but he didn't bring this up and then some things started getting a bit strange and uh, about another month passes by well this this influence that he had opened himself up to by going on the internet looking for something to get closer to God this influence was telling him he couldn't eat because that was fleshly and so he started literally starving himself where he he for nearly a month's time didn't eat anything or not very much at all and so the next time I'd seen him because there was a few weeks in there where I was gone and and I hadn't seen him I came back and I, I met with him and I looked, and I, when I looked at the back of his hand, all I could see were the bones. There was no meat between the bones. He was about my height, yet he weighed less than 100 pounds at this point. About six foot tall, less than 100 pounds. And yet his ankles were swollen about this big. And they were swollen about this big because he had been being directed by this evil influence to stand all night long with his arms outstretched and his head tipped back and to pray all night long. So he's still working on the farm. He's still trying to live, but he's not sleeping at night. He's trying to pray all night long and he's not eating. And it was only through taking more time with him and praying with him 
and saying, you know, praying in the Lord Jesus Christ's name and in the Lord's power to drive this evil influence from him. But he had to get to the point where he didn't want that influence affecting him. He had to realize it was wrong. So I had to take him to Scripture and show him how what he was doing was going against what biblical teaching taught. And so eventually he, he's come out of this and he's come away from that and he's not having this happening anymore. But the reality was he wanted to get so close to God, but he, he went to the wrong place. He didn't go to the Bible. He went to the Internet. And folks, I want you to understand the devil is out there. He is using stuff like that to make this world darker and darker and darker. And this young man has trusted Christ as Savior, but he, had de- he was deceived. And he followed deception. But understand, God's word is clear. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, so many people, when we preach to them and we give them the gospel, so many of them think it's that when we tell them about Christ, that God is going to ruin their life. God is going to keep them from enjoying life. God is going to destroy everything. And they don't understand God loves them and he wants the very best for them. You know, and if you're sitting here today and you don't know for sure where you would spend eternity, if you were to die today, if you don't know that you'd be with God because you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, understand God loves you. And he wants the best for you. He doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants you to live the life that is pleasing to him and is full. And here in the passage, he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, I'm thankful that that young man, he got out of all that evil influence, and and he's doing really well now. And he's, he's... texting me while we're back here in America and he's saying, Pastor, is there anything I can pray for you? Is, and how are you doing? And, and we communicate back and forth and he's, he's doing well. But it's now because he's focused on God's word and what God's word says. Well, hearing God's word, it says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You know, I think sometimes we go through life and we look around, uh, uh, we look around And we don't think about the reality of where people are spending, we're going to spend eternity. We get so busy in our ministries, or we get so busy with our job, or we get so busy with our family, that we are are just kind of exhausted just trying to live life, that we forget the real destination of people if they don't trust Christ as Savior. Well, God says they're condemned. You know, for a while we lived in a place called Rotorua. Rotorua, the city of Rotorua, was built inside the crater of a volcano. Now, I know that sounds crazy. Does that sound crazy to anybody here? Now, you'd say, oh, well, it was obviously a dormant volcano. Well, it's dormant except for the hot springs and for the steaming geysers and uh, all that. Other than that, it's totally dormant, you know? I mean, you'll drive down the street and you'll see steam coming out of the, the, the drains that's coming in from the volcanic volcanic activity. And every once in a while, there would be an eruption, like in the, in the city park, and 
you know, steam and ash and mud, boiling hot mud would shoot up into the air about 300 feet into the air. And it's like, yeah, but it's a dormant volcano. Yeah, not real dormant. And the city, okay, the crater lake is 26 miles around the crater lake. They do a marathon around it every year, 26 miles. That's the crater of the volcano. Along the edge is the city, 70,000 people in that city built inside the crater. The, the outer rim of the crater is about 45 miles around. It's a massive volcano. That's where the Maori settled, though, because there was this boiling water. They could cook their food there. They didn't have to create a fire. They could get warm there and everything. So that's where they started settling. I was uneasy the whole time we were there, to be honest. Okay? I lived there, but I was uneasy. You smell the sulfur all the, you know, pretty regularly. And occasionally someone would go and they would, because they would, there there's mud pits that are a, uh, a temperature that you can actually get in and have this thermal mud and stuff and have a mud bath. And there's hot springs, you can do that. But there's only certain ones that are the correct temperature. But there were on occasions where tourists would see a hot pool or something, and they would go and get in that hot pool, and they didn't realize that it was boiling hot. And they would get severe burns, and sometimes people died from that. You know, and you think, how terrible. Do you realize how terrible the lake of fire is really going to be? Do you realize that there are people all around us that that is the reality of what's going to take place and that that is going to be a pain that is not going to go away? It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. The Bible calls it a lake of fire. You know, when some of those events would happen in Rotorua there when we lived there, I would think, wow, this is... This is only sort of like what the lake of fire will be like. But how often do we just walk down the street and ignore what's going on around us and forget that this is what's really going to happen to people if they don't trust Christ as Savior? You know, I think sometimes we we want to be polite. We want to be kind. We don't want to have controversy. So we don't bring up the subject. But if we don't bring up the subject, how are they ever going to hear it? How are they ever going to know how to escape that terrible torment? You know, many years ago when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, I was a youth pastor down there and taught in a Christian school. Jacksonville, if any of you have ever been there before, is a river city. It's got the St. John's River goes down the middle and there are several bridges that go over the river. Well, a few of those bridges are drawbridges because the big ships come up and down through the city. Well, one of those, one of those uh, drawbridges is, is not a drawbridge like this that tips up like this, but it's a center span drawbridge where there's a big tower on this side, a big tower on this side, and the whole center span of the bridge rises vertically like this so the ships can go through. Well, one day when I was there, we heard a report on the news that there had been some problem with the Main Street Bridge. And early in the morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, a ship was coming down the river. They had radioed the tower for them to raise the bridge. So the, the bridge operator, he pressed the buttons necessary to raise that bridge. But for safety's sake, 
when that bridge goes up, there were warning arms that would come down. And like on a train crossing, you know how we have those for the train crossings? They, the arm comes down and you got flashing red lights and the sirens or the, the bells and things to stop cars from going. So those arms would come down. And then also there was uh, chain link fences that would go up at the edge of the bridge so no one could fall off the bridge. And so there were these various warning things that were, were there for the bridge. Well, that morning, when that bridge operator started raising that, where his little place is, his little office on the bridge, he can't see those warning things. So he raised the bridge, and the ship's coming down the river. A young man who was a sailor who worked at um, the naval base there was heading to work that morning. And he, as he started driving up and over the Main Street Bridge... He couldn't see that the bridge was up. The warning devices didn't work that day. The chain link fences didn't go up. The warning arms didn't come down. None of those devices worked. And that young man drove off of that bridge a couple hundred feet down to the, to the, fell to the river, and he was lost. Fortunately, no one else went over that morning. But you know... If you had been walking up that bridge that day, or if I had been, I think any one of us, if we had seen that the bridge had gone up and seen a car coming up toward that bridge, I think any one of us would have tried to get out there in the road and tried to stop that car from driving off that bridge. I mean, that's the the only human compassionate thing to do. You would try to stop someone from going certainly to their death, for sure. The problem was that morning there was nobody there. There was no warning. So the young man was lost. Do you realize the same thing is happening to people today when it comes to eternity? They are heading, just like off that bridge, they are heading to a crisis eternity. And they're going, and it's certain. It's, that's what the Bible says. They're condemned already. Because they've not believed. Well, why haven't they believed? Oftentimes, it's because they've never heard. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 10. Another familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. Romans chapter number 10. Probably one of the most famous verses in Scripture, and a a verse I'm so incredibly thankful for is verse 13. Romans 10, 13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we all say, praise the Lord for that. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, verse 14, shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, verse 13 is such a blessing. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know many of you here today have no doubt done that. You've called upon the Lord and you've been saved. But that next verse says, How then shall they call on whom 
they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? You know, we often look at this verse, and a lot of times people talk about this as a, a verse for preachers. This is a verse for missionaries. And, but you know, this verse is for every single believer out here. Because there are people around us that have not heard the gospel. And you say, well, why haven't they ever trusted Christ? Well, they've not heard about him. And how are they going to hear about him unless somebody tells them? And you know, that somebody might be you. Pastor Ferguson said he grew up in this church. And that's a blessing. And, you know, he might know some of the people that you know that are friends of yours or family. But I doubt he knows every one of them. I doubt he knows all the people that you know. Now, he may. He's, he's a pretty sharp guy. He might know everybody. I don't know. He's, but I doubt it. And a lot of people say, well, you know, if the pastor comes and he preaches to them, they'll accept Christ. Well, the reality is there are people you know that he may never meet in his life unless they start coming to this church or something. And how are they going to hear unless you tell them? How are they going to hear how, the way of salvation? That, those verses right there say, how are they going to believe in somebody they've never heard of before? You know, we go to New Zealand, we've gone to New Zealand and... Many years ago, the gospel came to New Zealand. Many years ago, there was an Anglican man that came, and he did preach the gospel. The first message ever preached in New Zealand was preached on Christmas Day, back in the 1800s. And he preached about today, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You know, and he, he preached that passage. And that was the first message. And many people did get saved back in those days. But then gradually people turned away from God, turned away from God, turned away from God. You know, and a lot of people look at it and they say, well, you know, the missionary, that's their job to go and to preach the gospel. And that's the pastor's job to preach the gospel. But the reality is, the people you work with, he probably doesn't know. A lot of people, some of these young people go to school with, he probably doesn't know. Some of your family... He doesn't know them either. I don't know them. How can I preach to them? How can I tell them about Christ if I never meet them? You meet them. You can tell them. But will you tell them? Do you have a willingness to do that? And I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. But are they going to go off a bridge into an eternity without Christ? To spend eternity in a lake of fire because no one is willing to just tell them? You know, if there were a door up here that says hell, we know hell's on the other side of that door. I think sometimes because of our politeness, we'll see people heading toward that door and we'll be so polite, we won't even try to stop them because we don't want to have a conflict. We don't want to have an argument. We don't want to have anybody get angry with us. So we'll be nice to them, we'll be friendly to them, but we don't try to stop them from going through. Folks, will we see that that's the most important thing we can do in this world? The most important thing is to stop them from going there? Look what it says in the passage there, it says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach except they be sent? You know, today, you need to go into the mission field and to preach the gospel just like I need to do it in New Zealand. You need to do it right here. Some churches I've seen in the past have had a little sign over their back door. When people go out, it says, you're now entering the mission field. And it's so true. The mission field is all around us. One of the things that's happened in New Zealand recently, we had a terrible shooting that took place there a number of months ago, back in March. Uh, evil man came from Australia. He came to New Zealand two years before with the intent of creating havoc in our country. And you say, how do you know that? Because he wrote it all down. He wrote it all down and he published it on the internet before he went and he did this evil shooting. He, he went into a mosque, to a Muslim mosque, and he shot a bunch of people in that mosque, and then he went to another Muslim mosque and shot a bunch of people there. In the end, he killed 51 people and wounded 40 people. And his hatred was not only toward them, but his hatred was toward um, a lot of things, and even Christianity. But the reality was, his hatred sent numbers of people to hell without Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, I want you to understand, I don't hate Muslims. I think Muslims need the Lord. And we need to preach the word so that they can come to know Christ as well. And when these people lost their families, we, had to, we needed to have compassion for them. And we, we, we did. One of the girls in the Red Cross uh, pictures on our presentation is a Muslim girl. And she's a friend of ours. And we've had opportunity to have her sit in our van. We've taken her to work a few times. And we've been able to sit there with her and talk about things. And she has poured out her heart to us on a few occasions. And she knows I'm an independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. You know, and she's um, a Muslim. But she has shared with us things on her heart because we've shown the love of Christ toward her and toward other people on our Red Cross team. And she knew people that were involved in the the shooting down in Christchurch. So she went down there. And, well, like when she sees us on the street, she'll run up to my wife and she'll give her a big hug and she'll say, I just love you guys so much. Now you say, that's kind of strange for a, a, a Muslim person to be hugging a Baptist that way. Well... The reality is, we're just showing the love of Christ to her. And so when she, and we've prayed for her, and prayed with her, and when she went down to Christ Church because of fam- some friends that had been involved in this, uh, on her Facebook page, I, I put on there, we're praying for you. And she put a little heart there, you know, love, you know, that she loves it that we're praying for her, and she put on there, she really appreciates us, and um, our support for her. And, but the reality is, she needs Christ. And how is she going to find Christ if I don't show her the love of Christ in our lives? And you know, with that that went on, though, that, that the, the media tried to make it out that it was Christians killing Muslims. That's what the media did. And it was very deceitful. It was lying. And because this guy wasn't a Christian. And this guy had nothing to do with Christianity. But the reality was the media tried to make a us-versus-them sort of mentality. Well, a bit later, someone put some tracks in, a, in some letterboxes in another city in Auckland, far away from the Christchurch situation. But months later, 
And they put a track in there that was, uh, some of you have heard of Chick Tracks. They're kind of a cartoon uh, booklet sort of thing. Uh, but it was about Islam and people needing to come to Christ instead of following Muhammad and uh, Allah. Anyway, they put these tracks in these letter boxes, but they didn't put their names on it, who, who had put the track there. And the police got a complaint about it, and the police said, we are now investigating this hate crime. A hate crime of putting a track in someone's letterbox because it was about Islam. And the police said, when we are trying to get fingerprints because we are planning on prosecuting whoever did this hate crime. So now it's a hate crime putting a tract in a letterbox, at least in that situation. And folks, what we need to understand is there are people out there that are lost, and we have to get the gospel out to them any way we can. Now, the timing of those tracts probably wasn't the best timing, and I, I wouldn't have done it in that way myself at that time. But the reality is there's no question about when we put something in someone's letterbox, it's got my name and my address and my my phone number all over it, so they clearly know who it is. But the reality is, getting a track out to someone, handing a track to someone, a young man got saved in our church. He came to a service, came, heard me preach, came to our house for dinner afterwards. He was a friend of my son's from Army Cadets. And we at dinner, we gave him a track, and we talked him through it, explained it to him. He didn't get saved that night. But he took that track home and he read it over and over and over again. And that week he did trust Christ as Savior. And that young man, Cody, uh, he's the one, one of the ones I baptized in the church, not in the ocean. The one in the ocean is still alive, by the way. Um, <clears throat> that was a bad place to baptize. Anyway, we won't do that again. Um, but Cody, uh, uh, he got saved in our church, he got baptized, and now he's training to be a pastor. So it's really good. So even a track can change someone's life. But the fact of the matter is, folks, with these terrible things that are going on around us in our world, like in our country in New Zealand, our, our, our prime minister banned a whole bunch of guns after that terrible shooting. And a lot of people are like, yay, that's good and all that. But the reality is the gun wasn't the problem. The heart of the person was the problem. And the heart of mankind is what needs to be changed in our world. And that only happens when they come to know Christ and their life is transformed. That's what we need to be doing by teaching, telling people the gospel. So not only are they saved and they can spend eternity in heaven and no longer condemned, but also that they're living for God day by day. You know, I have people in New Zealand say, well, what are you doing? You know, starting a church and stuff, what is that all about? And I say, you know what, it's really not rocket science. It's simply teaching people how they can know for sure they're going to spend eternity in heaven with God. And then how to live like Christ taught us to live day by day and to treat people well. You know, I said, it's not rocket science. It's really pretty simple. And people say, wow, I've never heard it put that way. That's really good. I say, it's not complicated. And you can have that in your life as well. Folks, maybe you're sitting here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You can trust Jesus Christ as Savior today and, and know for sure you're on your way to heaven and that you're no longer headed to the lake of fire because of being condemned already. But believers, if you're here today and you've already trusted, you've trusted Christ, you're a believer in Christ, are you willing to take that message to somebody else? You say, well, I've never been called to be a missionary, so I don't have to do that. 
Well, the Bible calls all of us as believers to do that. To take the word. To go and to preach. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Then don't preach. Just tell them. Just talk to them. Sit down with somebody and have a cup of coffee and tell them what God did in your life. How God changed you. You know, a simple testimony like that can change someone's life if you're willing to tell them. Don't be afraid. You know, what's the worst they could do? They could kill you, I suppose. But then you're in heaven. So, oh well, they promoted you to heaven. That's not too bad. Right? And most people aren't going to do that, right? They're not going to do that. Most people, they might get mad at you for a little while, or they might accept Christ. But will you be bold enough to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them and died on the cross for them so they can spend eternity in heaven with him one day? I hope you're bold. I hope you'll do that. And, you know, if each one of you brought one person to church this next year, you wouldn't fit in this auditorium. Just one. Will you be that witness for the Lord?